Convey the name Anita Zucker to someone in Charleston, and the person will likely talk about Anita's family's philanthropy. The Florida native has not only become a vital part of the low country of South Carolina, she's helping to build it and build up the people who live here by supporting programs, schools, and even entertainment. She says she learned the value of hard work by watching her parents. My parents were immigrants to the United States. They were Holocaust survivors. And um, they suffered quite a bit during those years in Europe. And then, um, I don't know how they did it, but through perseverance and a lot of resilience, they managed to have their first child in a displaced persons camp. My late sister, who I lost November a year ago, was born over there. And when she was three, they got to America um, because an organization, a nonprofit organization, brought them. And it was called, it still exists, it's called HIA, the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society. And they sent my parents to Jacksonville, Florida to be resettled by the community down there. My dad. It said in his papers that he was a tailor, and my mother it didn't say what she did in, you know, before in terms of her work. She worked with her father. She was young when the war began, and so she never got to finish school. But when they got to America, they made lives for themselves in Jacksonville, Florida. My mom worked in retail, and my dad started out working in grocery stores in their produce department worked up to being a manager in the produce department and decided he wanted his own business. So he bought a full-service gasoline station where they had to provide um, mechanics and, you know, they did work with tires, they, they rented U-Hauls, whatever they could to bring the money in. And they had three daughters that they needed to educate. And they sent us all to college on that. And my mom's work, my dad's mom's work, and my mom helped my dad. So that was our upbringing. My parents worked really hard to make sure that my sisters and I got everything we needed to be just like everybody else. You know, my mom was great. She was an amazingly frugal shopper, but she knew the kind of things that her three daughters would love, and she made sure we had them all. I was so happy that I had an opportunity to meet her and spend time with her. I'm so glad that you did get to meet my mother, just as I've met your mother, and our moms are really important to us. You've since lost both of your parents. 2020 was a really difficult year, eight months after my mom cancer decided to take my sister and because of COVID um, we didn't get to be with her and my mom passed away just in time just as COVID was beginning and so we were very lucky to be able to have the traditions that we do in the religion that I am in Judaism and it meant so much to be able to spend that time with my mother and then have a week of sitting shiva to have people come by and visit and let me tell stories and um, and then eight months later, boom, my sister got sick. Mm -hmm. We weren't allowed to visit her. And she passed away in November of uh, 2020. And I would say next to the loss of my parents and Jerry, losing my sister was one of the saddest moments of my life because she was my best friend. Mm -hmm. 
and that was really, really tough. She was strong and amazing, and, and much like my parents, I considered her to be my another survivor because she was born during the tumultuous, at the end of the tumultuous times, tumultuous times, you know, after World War II, and she survived three years in a displaced persons camp before getting to America. So I always think about things like that that have guided my life. Those are the things that have made me who I am and, and given me value and have driven me to be the person that I am today. Family is everything to you. Yes, it is. Family, faith, and friends. My three F's. That's really important to me. I think it's so unique and such a special story of how you and your late husband became connected at such an early age. Yes, we were. So, you know, at the age of 14, um, I went to religious school, just, you know, for people's information. I went to public school. All of my education has been public education, with the exception of going to afternoon Hebrew school and Sunday school, and my Sunday out on Saturdays growing up. But um, Jerry's other parents were my teachers. And in fact, I met Jerry's father when I was 10 years old because he taught me that year. And when I was 12, Jerry's mother taught me. And when I was 14, they were down the street at my aunt and uncle. And they said, go home and change clothes. Ask your parents if it's okay. We'd like to take you home to meet our son. <laughs> and Jerry was probably at that moment, he was 17 years old. Okay, and I was very close to turning 15, but I said, okay, let me ask my parents. And they said, you can go. So I went. And we watched Bonanza. I remember that very, very well. Okay. <laughs> We sat down that night and watched. But, you know, Jerry's parents introduced us. We were young. My first date after that, I had just turned 15. And we were together, basically dating from that moment on. And I skipped my senior year in high school because he's like, oh, I really want you to get to Gainesville. So I lived in an apartment, and I went to Santa Fe Community College in Gainesville, Florida. And I got dual credits from my high school, and I graduated with my high school class because they accepted all my credits from the community college at that time, and I transferred into the University of Florida. And um, we were together, and we got married at the age of 18. So I was 18, he was older, he was almost 21. And um, that was the beginning of us being a couple, and we were entrepreneurs. So while we went to school full-time, we also, I had a 20-hour-a-week job, and Jerry worked full-time and took classes, both of us. But every afternoon about 4 o'clock in between working classes, we would meet, and we had a restaurant, we had a little deli. And um, the weird thing is the building is still in Gainesville, so every time I go by that space, <laughs> I have to look at it and, and remind myself that we used to work in there every single day we would go and cook. So the two of you owned a deli? We did, we owned a deli. And uh, and we prepared the food every afternoon. Jerry made a mean meatloaf, <laughs> which is amazing. And I learned to take 50 pounds of potatoes, throw them in this machine that shook them up to kind of peel them and clean them. And um, I would use, a, um, thank God for the cutting thing that would cut lots of potatoes at the same time into cubes and I make potato salad. I mm. cook 50 pounds of potatoes 
okay? And uh, talk about gaining strength. I made corned <laughs> beef, some straw meats, and, and pasta salad. And um, and then the people that worked in the shop for us, they actually served the guests, okay? The customers, because we never got to be there when it was open. It was a lunch place, and we only served lunch. So we never saw our customers. Wow. We don't even our employees, at least I didn't, because I was always working when it was open, and uh, and then going to school after that. But anyway, ultimately, I became a teacher, and Jerry had a triple major undergrad degree from the University of Florida and a master's in electrical engineering, and, and that was the beginning. When we got married, we took a trip, and I mean, being 18 years old, for me, I never went anywhere. Jerry's parents were from Israel, okay? They were Poland and then Israel, and then America. Jerry's family went back to Israel regularly. For me, I never went very many places. We would go to Daytona Beach or Miami. Those were our vacations, like for maybe a week, a year, because my parents didn't have a lot of money. So we did what we could do, and it was great, but we traveled, so we took a a month-long honeymoon. We probably paid for years for that honeymoon, and we went to Europe. And so I got to see five major capitals in Europe. We knew we wanted kids, and so we ultimately had three. But the great thing is we made sure they had a good education and that they got to travel with us. And so I was able to find a way to balance working and um, also then becoming extremely involved in community while allowing them to have a great childhood, hopefully, and all my kids played sports of some sort and managed to get them there and to be there and i think that's what it's got to be about you've got to be there for your kids or um their education and their their life education can't be complete if the parents are not a part of their their children's lives and so we made sure that we have the time for our kids what were you planning for your lives i mean you were working so much it sounds like you barely had time to speak to each other but did you have a plan or what you ultimately wanted to do? We had uh, a lot of goals of what we wanted to achieve. And I got my master's in, in um, administration and supervision, an MEC, a master of education, uh, because originally I thought, oh, well, ultimately be like a principal in a school. And um, I never was a principal in a school, but I certainly as a volunteer continued to work in education really my whole life. And um, it's a field that I'm very passionate about and dedicated to because without it, people can't succeed in their lives. It's one of the most important things we can give our families, our children, and and the people of our community. They deserve to be well-educated. Anita, I think that a lot of people probably did not know that you spent time in the classroom. And, And you talk about how that how important education is. What did you learn from actually being in a classroom with children, spending time with families? I spent five years in a little tiny town, Palatka, Florida, teaching school, okay, in the public schools there. And then we moved to Charleston, and I taught at Lansdowne and State for almost five years as well. And um, so spending time in each of those schools was an experience. At Lamb, we were next to the Air Force Base. Anita, you were thrust into the position of leading your family's company when your husband passed away. From the time of diagnosis until his passing, how how long did you have with Jerry? We had about 21 to 22 months. 
together from that moment. And I would say those were the hardest moments of our years together. It was extremely difficult because we knew what was going to be coming. But what she did was we made the best and the most of everything. We did everything we could do. If we even took a couple of trips that he could still handle the first year, and it was not easy, but we did it. And, um, you know, he was among people as much as he could be among people during those times. But I'm telling you, people don't realize, unless you have dealt with cancer, what cancer does to people and their lives. I haven't personally dealt with it, but I lost my father, my sister, and my husband to cancer. And it destroys lives one day at a time. It was just the most difficult thing to go through with him with my sister and, and with my father we didn't know till the day he died that he had stage four can- cancer which was a real tragedy as well but you know I do a lot of work around that field because it's so important to me to try to learn everything we can possibly learn and I love the work I get to do in neuroscience as well and you know that because we work together often mm-hmm. on things it means so much to me to do anything that can make a difference in it make people's lives better. Your husband was brilliant. Tell me first about his diagnosis. Oh my gosh, when that happened, it was one of the most difficult things on earth. Well, first, we never heard of it. We didn't know what it was. So we started immediately doing the research. And once we learned um, what a glioblastoma was and the impact it was going to have on all of our lives and what it was going to do to Jerry, I mean, we were probably all, first of all, in a state of shock. But our entire family jumped into research and jumped into trying to figure out everything we could possibly figure out. Um, and it was very, very difficult to know that our days were numbered. But none of us know what our outcome is going to be, okay, in life. We don't know if we're going to be here today and gone tomorrow. But in that one, we knew time was limited. And so we did everything we could, and, and Jerry was amazing in how he dealt with it. And, I mean, we certainly looked for every possibility. And there just weren't any in that cancer. And I have to tell you, I still fight for that today. I work with a group of um, doctors, and we have created an alliance that happens to now be a global alliance of doctors in universities all over the world um, to share da- who have agreed to share data and research in uh, brain cancer. Um, people are beginning to at least have longer lives with a little more quality, but um, but to hear that and to understand what that diagnosis meant, yeah, we were we lived in a state of shock. And we, but we made a decision that we would work really hard to spend time together, to communicate, to talk about the things that were important to us in, in life and health. For me, every day I would sit with Jerry and ask business questions because he taught me. We, I've never learned so fast in my life what I was going to have to deal with. How was I going to be able to keep the leadership team together? What worked? things that he needed to teach me that would allow me to gain the respect of those leaders in our business that I needed. I was going to need those smart people. And um, the good news is I knew how to create relationships with people, but he made sure that I learned from him any of the techniques and tricks and the, and his keys to success that I use all the time. Um, 
And we were using one of his main keys, which is to have a sense of urgency and a bias for action. There was no option for us. We all, our family, had to have a sense of urgency and a bias for action. And we had to make sure we had every, you know, all our little ducks had to be in a row. We couldn't get everything in order, but we, but we did our best, and he did his best to make sure we could get everything in the best order it could be if and when he had to leave this world. And it was so hard, no matter what, because he really wanted to be here to see his kids grow up and to be a part of the lives of his grandchildren and his, our family. All those things meant so much to him. Anita, because the month of... March is Women's History Month. That's one of the things that I want to focus on in in our conversation is how women function differently in the world. I absolutely believe women work differently. Um, I think what's really interesting is we have the capacity to take on a great deal. Um, And we have to work smart. We have to be very well educated. If we're going to have a job, we're going to have to really understand everything that we do because in order to um, stand up, step out, and have the confidence in yourself to speak out, we have to be very well educated, twice as well educated sometimes as men. But I think a woman can handle a lot. I think emotionally we're made in a way somehow that we can take a tremendous amount. And, you know, one thing I need to make clear, yes, I had help, but we also didn't have any money. That was all we had was <laughs> enough to pay for what we needed, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's why I had to work. And, um, and then finally, when we decided to start our own business, then we finally reached a point that I could be able to leave my work and be home part-time and work part-time and be in community part-time and do those things. But yes, females can do a lot. But my friend Mary Thornley taught me something extremely important. And she said, sometimes you must have no fear. You really have to learn to overcome your fear. And we do have to be fearless at times. We have to use our voices. But again, we have to be well-educated. We have to have confidence in ourselves in order to take the stands that we do. And I'm willing at times to definitely stand up and step out and take stands for issues that I feel are very important. And I'm still trying to do that. There are moments in my life that it's like, will this ever happen? I don't know. There's things I'm fighting for right now. And I've been very frustrated watching how people feel about things that are happening in the world today. And for me, as a female, we need to know that we're doing everything we can, not just for ourselves, but for the other women in the world to make their lives better. Um, So yes, as a woman, there's much we can do, and there are many of us that we can help, but we have to do it together. We have to be smart, and we have to be well-educated. And I don't mean you have to go out and get the, the greatest college education. You just have to be smart and be willing to learn. You can sit at home and learn, or you can go out and learn, but you must learn. You must never stop learning. And I think that a lot of people might think, I will never have the kind of success or influence in the world as Anita Zucker. But I believe that you would say otherwise. You're right. I would say otherwise. I think the thing that people don't realize is how many things are available to them that don't cost money. Okay, so they need to avail themselves of the educational opportunities. 
uh, that could be there for them. And if they can't get away from their children, find ways to do it when the kids might be taking a nap or if they're little or make sure you've got that smart pen and start delving into what the opportunities could be. What amazes me is how many free programs Trident Tech offers thanks to state support. Our state actually has a lot of uh, majors that lead directly into jobs, okay, that can be there for people, and they don't have to pay. Plus, there's lottery tuition assistance to people. That The sad part is people aren't getting educated enough to know that the resources exist for them that can begin to change their lives. There are a lot of resources. And okay, I have the opportunity to find them because I know how to look. I know how to delve into these different things. Well, I have to say, if I sat still and didn't learn, it would really be a problem. I mean, just working from home for myself, I've had to learn so much more technology. They need to avail themselves of every opportunity. I know our state provides free coding for women and anybody actually at any age you can go and I wish I could remember the website but there is a website and maybe that's something you could provide I know Blackbot is aware of it but there's a coding site that the state of South Carolina through the Commerce Department created and people can go and learn how to code so um, having that little smart pad that is a beginning to be able to learn some of those things Taking your kids to the community centers that are being um, that are in the city of Charleston, for example, those centers have computer rooms, okay, where people can go and get educated or use the computers. The same kind of tech has facilities in all three counties, and many of those spaces have a little area with computers set up that the public is allowed to use. And and so knowing that there are public places you could go to gain resources is also important. So you have to make yourself aware of what opportunities are out there. And those opportunities don't always cost anything. So they're there. We just have to teach people how to take advantage of them. And I hope people will hear that and know that you don't have to be me. But listen, there was a time I didn't know where my money was going to come from, nor did Jerry. And if we didn't work and put forth effort to constantly have jobs, we wouldn't have made it to where we are today. It's the hard work and a tremendous amount of effort on our part. And we worked really hard to get where we are today. It didn't happen overnight. No parent handed us a silver spoon. No one gave us money. We had to earn it. You are known for the success of your your company, as well as your philanthropy, the way that you work so passionately in the community. The list is so long of the many organizations and the many services that you help fund and support. Why is that so important to you? Thank you. Um, I have. I've seen a lot of different pieces. And what I feel like we've been successful. So as Jerry and I became successful, we finally were able to give back not only our time, but our treasure. And for me, I give my time, I roll up my sleeve, I'm in there, I'm in the trenches. But I love to work with those organizations that change lives and make an impact, whether it's the food bank, making sure that people have food because we need to feed mind, bodies, and souls, or whether it's Friday United Way and we're also feeding 
feeding education to people and teaching people financial literacy. Those pieces are so important. And then my work with the Chamber of Commerce, that's where I began my advocacy and my work at the state level and my, my work to make a difference from that perspective. And all of those things, I've given myself a voice. My husband allowed me to become who I am. And I have to thank him so much for allowing me to create my own and become my own person. And to have a voice at the state level that sometimes gets listened to, not always, it means a lot. It, it means a lot to know I can pick up a phone and call someone and they'll take my call. But also it means a lot to know that I can go to the Red Cross and get blood. I know that the Red Cross, we're going to be out there, and during one of the hurricanes, I had to call National Red Cross. I had to call the, well, I called our statewide CEO and said, okay, one of our people who lives in a different city, they're about to have a flood. They do not have a shelter open yet. They don't have pots. Help. We've got to get this done, and we did. We got it done, and we got this, the cot into the shelter, and the shelter was ready for the people when the flood came. And then, you know, having people from the Red Cross, the volunteers come from all over the country. And when we were dealing with that thousand year flood, I got to go be in the center, uh, the heart of what was happening in South Carolina and watch how the Red Cross operates and dealt with the flooding, the how do we save the people? How do we feed the people? How do we get water to the people? All of those kinds of pieces. And they were people from way in, so I said, we have that's up the road from where we are right now is a food bank. That place provides meals to 10 counties. Let's use the food bank and get the food out that you need to get out. We, so I, they did. And I've gotten to work with their CEO. I've gotten to work with the state CEO. I've worked in a lot of energy. You don't even know all the things that I probably get to do. <laughs> That's but right. I love that I've been here. Mm-hmm. And that I can, and I can make something happen that can change a life and we can save lives. So, you know, Tikkun Olam, repair of the world, I live it. Anita, you use Tikkun Olam, a phrase you use very often. I've heard you describe it as something that you wake up thinking about and you go to sleep thinking about it also. What does Tikkun Olam mean? Well, it means repair of the world. And that is what I believe I try to engage in whether it's through education or through health or all of the things that my family and I support, we are working very hard to change the lives. I want to provide the best possible education because it's through education that lives can be changed. If a person doesn't have food and we feed them, it's going to change how they are. They have the ability to think and then get educated so that they can achieve more. So all of the pieces fit together, and yes, I'm always thinking about Tikkun Olam, but it's also impactful in the businesses that we run. And it can sometimes it brings happiness to people in their lives. Through whether we're providing hockey or figure skating or birthday parties, whatever we're providing in our facility, that's a part of it. You know, making people smile and have something to smile about. To me, that's part of repairing their world and making it better. Your hand is involved in so many things, shaping the lives, improving the lives of people and products. It's a lot of work. So what I'm curious about is when do you relax? When do you reset? Um, Well, here's the good news. You'll love this, Carolyn. So I have two trainers. I work with one of them. 
two hours a week and I work at the other one two hours a week. That's such a reset for me. It's, um, if I miss it, I don't feel the thing. So I love knowing that I um, have been working with them throughout almost all of the pandemic. One of them I work with virtually. We do FaceTime. <laughs> and it's just so good because it's almost like having um, therapy. I'm being very intentional about strengthening me and helping me deal with the little issues that will hopefully help me be a stronger person as I age. So those are things I love. But of course, every now and then having a nice trip, being with my family, I have a 20-month-old grandchild that's the youngest grandchild, (laughs) and then children go all the way up to almost 15, so spending time with them is also an opportunity to reset, and um, and during COVID, we've been lucky, and everybody is willing to test so we can be together at times. And so whether it's spending Thanksgiving together or finding a way to, um, to to do something fun, I got to take my five oldest grandchildren who range from 11 to almost 15 to the University of Florida football game. They had never been to a football game oh. at a college. And uh, despite the fact that Jerry and I both went there, even my daughter had never been to Gainesville. So... <laughs> I got to take them there, and we saw a great football game. Oh. It was a win game, but I also gave my grandkids a tour of the campus. Mm-hmm. And so the ninth grader, time for her to think about colleges, and she is. Mm-hmm. And so she thanked me because she said, you know, I've never been on a college campus, and it gave me an opportunity to see what a college campus is like and what it's all about. And so why not educate them? You know, and begin this process of reminding them they need to think through starting at about the eighth or ninth grade. What do they want to do with their futures? And not every child's meant to go to college, but I wanted them to at least, if we were going to go down there, I wanted them to understand what makes up this place and what it's all about and what makes up many colleges and universities so that they can give it lots of thought as they're growing up. Exposure is education. Yes. People might be surprised that someone who is listed on the Forbes list for wealth loves a good dollar store. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, um, I've heard that about you. <laughs> that doesn't find me. Just know that. But yes, I do. I like to watch my money. And I like to go out and buy things wherever I need to buy them. And do I want to save when I can't use that? <laughs> if I just watch how I spend my money, I don't know that I could afford to have the life that I have. So yes, I have to watch it. Um, hopefully my children have learned to budget and to watch and know that they're in their means. And just know that even though I'm on that list doesn't mean I have what they say I have. Okay? They've never <laughs> spoken to me in my life. And, um, I, you know, I know they write about me and they come up with all these things, but a lot of what I do, like when I work for all these organizations, nobody ever pays me for the nonprofit work that I do. I give it. It's my honor and my pleasure. Well, Anita Zucker, you have been out of the classroom in the traditional way for many years, but you continue to educate us through your philanthropy and through the hours that you just pour into this community trying to repair the world as you say so well. Thank you so much for speaking with me. You've been very generous with your time. It is always a pleasure to be in your company. Carolyn, thank you for asking me and for being my friend. 
I really appreciate you and the work that you do to really give uh, light and bring light to the things that are so important to us. Thank you. for this episode of Let's Talk. Let's Talk is produced by Eric Johnson. I'm the host, Carolyn Murray. We welcome your comments and advice on our podcast, so please write a review and share the link with others. Thanks again for listening to Let's Talk. Goodbye until the next time.